Lesson 5 for July 26 to August 1. How to be saved. Sabbath afternoon, July 26. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're dealing with a topic of great importance to us at the moment. How to be saved. Some of us know about this, but each of us needs to be certain in our own mind that the salvation that comes is a gift from you through the death of your son Jesus. And as we read this lesson this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that our hearts, our minds, our lives may be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's read that again, John 3.14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. As the Israelites were being bitten by snakes in the desert, God instructed Moses to make a bronze one and place it on a pole so that whoever was bitten would look at it and be saved. What healing properties can a bronze snake have? None. Healing came only from God. By looking at the bronze statue, however, the Israelites demonstrated their faith in God as their only hope of life and salvation. The Lord wanted to teach them a spiritual lesson. He transformed a symbol of death into a symbol of life. That bronze serpent was a symbol of Christ, who became the bearer of our sins in order to save us. By faith, we can all look to Christ lifted up on the cross and find a cure from the deadly sting of the old serpent, Satan. Otherwise, we are fated to die in our sins. The Word of God expresses what should be painfully obvious. As human beings, we are sinners in need of grace. That grace has been offered to us in Christ Jesus. This week we will look at Jesus' teachings regarding the simple practical steps needed for salvation. Sunday, July 27, Recognize Your Need Question. Read Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. How can you know which group you are in? Luke five twenty-seven. After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left him, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Many people are physically healthy and have no need of a physician. 
who, though, is truly spiritually healthy. Of all human beings, as it says in Psalm 14, verse 3, there is none who does good, no, not one. Nobody is righteous by themselves, we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. We may do some morally good actions, but we cannot make ourselves righteous before God. Hence, by saying that he had not come to call the righteous in Luke 5.32, Jesus was referring to the Pharisees, who thought they were righteous, although they were not. Unfortunately, though they believed that they were in good standing before God, they were blind spiritually, as it says in John chapter 9, verses 40 and 41. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. The first step, then, to receive the cure from sin is to recognize our state of sinfulness and our utter inability to heal ourselves. But how can we see our real need if we are blind? How can we acknowledge that we are sinners if it is precisely our sins that are preventing us from recognizing our true condition? Question. How can our spiritual eyes be opened so that we may recognize our desperate need of a Saviour? Let's look at John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The only eye salve that can make us see our real spiritual status is the Holy Spirit. Before any other work he may do for us, he has to convict us of sin. Persistently he calls to our conscience in order to produce in us an inescapable awareness of our sins and a deep sense of guilt, which leads us to long for a saviour. When we hear that call, we must listen and obey it, otherwise sooner or later we will be so hardened against the Holy Spirit that nothing can be done for us. What a scary thought! So to finish today, Though guilt is often a bad thing, in what ways has the Holy Spirit been able to use guilt to your own spiritual advantage? Monday, July 28, Repent Recognizing our sins is not enough. It must be accompanied by repentance. The biblical meaning of repentance includes three aspects. Acknowledgement of one's sin, sorrow for having sinned, and the desire not to sin any more. If one is lacking, there is no true repentance. For example, Judas admitted his sin but he lacked grief for having betrayed the Master in Matthew 27, verses 3 to 4. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. He was overwhelmed with remorse, not with repentance. 
His confession was generated by fear of the consequences, not by his love of Christ. We can see the importance of repentance by the fact that John the Baptist and Jesus began their ministry by preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 2 and chapter 4, verse 17. Later, when Jesus sent the twelve on their first missionary trip, they went out preaching that people should repent, as it says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 12. And, after Pentecost, Peter exhorted the crowd to do the same. In Acts chapter 2.38, then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again in Acts chapter 3 verse 19, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Question Look at the strong words Jesus used to emphasize the universal need for repentance in order to be saved. What message is he giving us here in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5? There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Of those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish." Jesus affirmed the sinfulness of all people. Therefore, he urged his hearers in verse 5, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Without repentance, redemption is impossible, because the absence of repentance demonstrates that people refuse to surrender to the Lord. Now we have been told in Romans 2.4, The goodness of God leads you to repentance. What does that mean? A block of ice can be broken into small pieces, but the resulting pieces will still be ice. That same block of ice can be placed next to a heater and it will melt away into water. The ice of our pride can be thawed only if we are exposed to the warmth of God's goodness and love. Thus, how crucial for us to dwell as much as we can on all the evidences we have been given of God's love for us. As Ellen White writes in Christ Object Lessons, page 189, We do not repent in order that God may love us, but he reveals to us his love in order that we may repent. So to finish today, what are the evidences of God's love? What have you seen and experienced and learned that gives you powerful reasons to trust in his goodness? Why is it so important always to dwell on those reasons, especially in bad times? Tuesday, July 29. Believe in Jesus. 
True repentance goes hand in hand with faith in Jesus as our only Saviour. Jesus frequently talked about the need to believe in him in order to receive his blessings. As he said in Mark 9.23, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Faith is essential if we are to be saved. Satan knows that, which is why he makes every effort to keep us from believing. Luke 8.12, Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. According to Jesus, what does it mean to believe? It is more than a vague feeling that something will just happen. It is more than a mental exercise. Saving faith is not devoid of content. On the contrary, faith has a definite object, Jesus Christ. Faith is believing not only in something, but especially in someone. Faith is trusting in Jesus and his death for us. Believing in Jesus means knowing him, understanding who he is, as it says in John 6.69. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And receiving him personally, as it says in John one twelve. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus, so that all who truly believe in him will have eternal life. His death does not mean that everyone will be saved, however. We have to be covered by his righteousness. By believing in him, we have righteousness, we have assurance, and we have the great promise that he will raise us up at the last day, as it said in John 6.40. Question. To a woman who had lived a sinful life, Jesus assured her, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Actually, we can read that in Luke chapter 7, verses 48 to 50. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. According to the Gospels, when Jesus healed some people, he said to them, Your faith has made you well. We see that in Matthew 9, Mark 10, and Luke 17. By saying these words, he was not assigning any healing power to their faith. Their faith was just a complete trust in Jesus' power to heal them. The power of faith does not come from the person who believes, but from the God in whom that person believes. So to finish the day, why must we be very careful in how we understand the role of faith in regard to prayer, especially about healing? Why is it wrong to conclude from the verses above that if healing doesn't come as we pray, it's because we don't have enough faith? Wednesday, July 30, The Wedding Garment Jesus sat before the people and uttered what must have been to them shocking words. 
unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 Few were more scrupulous in the observance of the letter of the law than were the Pharisees. Nevertheless, they failed because their behavior was intended to impress men more than to please God. Jesus warns us, not to do likewise in Matthew 6 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. How then can we be righteous before God? The parable of the marriage feast gives us the clue in finding the source of true righteousness. Question? Read Matthew chapter 22, verses 2 to 14. Why did the king want to be sure that every guest had the wedding garment for the feast? What did that garment represent? And we'll also look at Isaiah 61, verse 12, and Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 5, beginning in Matthew 22, and verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. And they were made light of, and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joseph was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. 
The king provided the wedding robes free of charge. Those present were invited randomly while travelling on the highways and probably did not have the appropriate attire for the wedding, nor money to buy it. But the invitation and the garment were gifts from the king. The only requirement needed to attend the feast was to accept both presents. Since the fall of the Garden of Eden, every human being is spiritually naked. Adam and Eve felt naked after disobeying, and they attempted to cover themselves by sewing fig leaves together, something utterly uncomfortable and ineffective. The best righteousness that human effort can achieve is like filthy rags, it says in Isaiah 64 verse 6. As in the parable, God provided the garment we need. He made garments for Adam and Eve and clothed them in Genesis chapter 3, a symbol of his righteousness covering the sinner. The Lord also provides the garment of Christ's righteousness for his church, so that she may be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, as it says in Revelation 19.8, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, as it says in Ephesians 5.27. This robe, as Ellen White says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 310, is the righteousness of Christ, his own unblemished character that through faith is imparted to all who receive him as their personal saviour. So to finish today, above and beyond anything else we believe, why must we understand that our salvation comes only from the covering that Christ gives us as a gift? Why must we always remember this? Thursday, July 31. Follow Jesus. When in faith we recognize our need, repent, confess our sins, and claim Christ's righteousness for ourselves, we become his disciples. During his ministry, Jesus called different people, such as Peter and James and John, to be his disciples, a call that implied leaving everything in order to follow him. And you'll remember it happened in Matthew 4, in Mark 10, and Luke chapter 5. In fact, in the Gospels, the verb to follow practically became a synonym for disciple. Question. What two elements are essential in order to be a disciple of Jesus. We look at John chapter 8 verses 30 and 31. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Some people try to separate faith in Jesus from adherence to Jesus' teachings, as if the first would be more important than the latter. But Jesus did not make such a distinction. For him, both aspects are closely interrelated and fundamental for true discipleship. A disciple of Jesus is committed to his person, as well as to his words. Though there is always the danger of getting so caught up in doctrines and forms of faith that we lose sight of Jesus himself, we must also be aware of the danger of thinking that all that matters in our walk with the Lord is to believe in Jesus. Question. What is the high cost of being a disciple of Jesus? Let's look at Luke 14, verses 25 
to 27. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus used the verb to hate as a hyperbole, meaning to love less. The parallel passage in Matthew clarifies the meaning of Jesus' words. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10.37 Jesus must have the first place in our lives if we want to be his disciples. So to finish today, what does following Christ, being his disciple, cost you? What does your answer say about your walk with the Lord? Friday, August 1. From the little book Steps to Christ, page 26, we read, We can no more repent without the Spirit of Christ to awaken the conscience than we can be pardoned without Christ. And from pages 26 and 27, As we behold the Lamb of God upon the cross of Calvary, the mystery of redemption begins to unfold in our minds, and the goodness of God leads us to repentance. In dying for sinners, Christ manifested a love that is incomprehensible, and as the sinner beholds this love, it softens the heart, impresses the mind, and inspires contrition in the soul. And from page 41, the humble and broken heart, subdued by genuine repentance, will appreciate something of the love of God and the cost of Calvary, and as a son confesses to a loving father, so will the truly penitent bring all his sins before God. And it is written, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, nine, And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Many try to drown their sense of guilt with alcohol, drugs, worldly pleasures, or by cramming their lives with frenzied activities. Why do none of these methods really work? How would you help someone who is in this condition to find the true solution for guilt? 2. It is possible to recognize our sins without bearing fruits worthy of repentance. Why isn't that true repentance? What is the value of these fruits? Are they good works done in order to gain God's favor? Explain your answer. 3. Discuss the fact that Christ's righteousness is free, but not cheap. Although we do not have to pay for it, the Lord had to pay an infinite price at the cross. Think about how fallen we are and how serious sin must be that it took something as extreme as the death of the Son of God himself in order to save us from the consequences of sin. Inside Story
Our mission story this week is titled Serving to Save. Zoe, Z-H-O, and his wife Lai are a young couple who serve as global mission pioneers in China. God sent them to serve in a city that had no Seventh-day Adventist believers. The couple rented a house that would work as a house church and began meeting their new neighbours. One day, Lai met an old man on the street. He was pushing a heavy tricycle loaded with goods to sell. Lai helped the man push the tricycle to his house, and she told him about God. Later, Zoe visited the old man and invited him to attend their Bible discussions. The old man came. Zoe and Lai met some elderly people who live in a nearby group home. They noticed that the residents couldn't afford haircuts, and they offered to cut their hair without charge. The couple shared God's love with their new friends, and 15 senior citizens agreed to study the Bible with them. None of these seniors had come from a Christian background, but they were hungry to know about God. When Zoe presented the Sabbath message to the seniors, they all decided to worship on the Sabbath. But then the manager of the home in which they lived decided that Zoe and Lai couldn't hold a worship service there. So Zoe found a place nearby where they could worship. A number of these elderly people walk 15 minutes to their new house church several times a week. Zoe continues to visit those who can't walk that far to church. The couple went to a nearby village to help farmers harvest their crops. They made friends in the village and invited the farmers to join them for worship. The farmers decided among themselves that Zoe and Lai were good people and that their God must be good as well. They listened to Zoe's messages about Jesus, and today, long after the crops have been harvested, 30 villagers are studying the Bible with Zoe. One day soon there will be a church in this village. We seek to meet the needs of people who are old or sick or discouraged, Zoe said. The group that worships with them is growing, and several people are preparing for baptism. The couple is training the local people to lead the congregation in the city and in the country so that when they leave, there will be people who can carry on the work. Our mission offerings help support global mission pioneers in dozens of countries throughout the world. Thank you for giving so that others can learn that God loves them and is preparing a place for them in his kingdom. Pray that God will bless their efforts to reach many in China. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.